0: All right, today we're going to talk about the next part of the service, liturgy. Uh, we've been doing confession and absolution for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, which is good because it's one of the cheap parts of the catechism. What are you eating? Uh, banana bread, I think. Okay. Or something. Yeah, no. something. She likes it. And bread. Bread. So today we're going to do the intro it, which um, if you didn't already know this, the catechism kids know this because we go over it, but maybe you haven't caught this. We retain the Latin names for the parts of the service from even before the Reformation, even though we don't sing them or say them in Latin. Well, that's because we don't understand Latin. Okay, that would be a good reason. Um, but it's kind of—I think it's—I think it's somewhat intentional to try to draw our attention to the um, to the long heritage of what we do. Uh, it's one of the dangers we have is is novelty. Uh, I think novelty is. In some, well, I think it's ungodly, actually. I, that, that may sound a little too strong for you, but the, the desire to always find something new and different um, sometimes leads you to deny the things that God has given, which are old and consistent, right? So, yeah, uh, what's, what's the old saying with weddings? Something old, something new, something something stolen, something blue, yeah. <laughs> borrowed. Okay, fine. If you want to do it that way. We're old school. Right, right. So like today, I mean, the liturgy itself, the order, the, the kind of the, and most of the text of it, I mean, you're talking about somewhere between 15 and 1800 years worth of history there. So that's a long time, you know, from the time of like the apostolic church, the early church, then the earliest church. Um, but, like, for example, the last hymn we sang was composed in 1920-something, 1930-something, I think. Or maybe it was during World War II. It might have been. That would make sense. The night is soon it ending. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, that's, a, that's actually a pretty contemporary thing for the church, you know, to be only 70, 80, 100 years old. That's pretty new, actually, all things considered. Um, and there, it was interesting. There was an article yesterday. Um, I didn't get to read too much detail. Maybe I can share it with you. Anybody know uh, Keith and what's his wife, Getty? Do you know these people? Um, Keith and somebody, Getty. So you haven't heard of the Gettys? All right, they, they put on, for lack of a better word, it's basically a sing-along, but it's large. They, they've grown extremely large, like 12, 13,000 people over a weekend to multiple you know events. Um, and what's interesting about what they do, and uh, you can like, if you have streaming music services, you can just search for the, you know, Getty Fam or Getty Singers, or there's different names for them. Keith and Keith Getty is his name. So search for his name. Um, they did a, they did an event. A live album just came out from Grand, Grand Old Opry. So they had some really, you know, big name people singing with them. But what they do is they, they actually sing almost entirely old hymns, but they sing, sing them with a little bit of a modern idiom. So they'll use, you know, more recent instrumentation—not necessarily an organ or that kind of thing—and they do it really well, right? It's not really—it's not really contemporary worship; it's not really traditional worship. It's just worship. They—they they use the gifts that they have. They sing from the great treasure that we have as a church. Um, they do commission and compose new new hymns as well that are—and—but and, the key with the article, and this is why maybe I should have printed it off and brought it for you. I didn't think about it until just now, is. Uh, Keith makes this statement saying uh, that that the modern modern worship movement, um, he says it's going to destroy the church. And the reason is is that the priority is on emotionalism and not on textualism. It's not on the scripture. It's on how it makes us feel. And that means that we have to actually forsake a large amount of the scripture because it doesn't make us feel very good (laughs) sometimes. Right? Think about Malachi's preaching. I said Micah a couple times in the sermon. You get those two confused. It's Malachi. That's who we were talking about. Um, You know, a great portion of Malachi's preaching is... It's not going to go well, you know? Because you've forsaken the Lord. We don't like to hear that. You probably didn't like me preaching that. Right? But then, of course, like Malachi, we still preach gospel, right? It's still, like, despite everything that you are and every way that you've rebelled against God... He's steadfast and forgiving and compassionate and merciful. His steadfast love endures sometimes. No. <laughs> what, do, what do we say? Forever. Yeah. His steadfast love endures forever. Is how, that's usually how it's translated. All right, so this is quite important. We don't want to forget that. Um, and so anyway, well, yeah. look up the Gettys. You might be surprised at what they do. I, I did a, a recording project with somebody who works with them. Um, doing production for them and directing that kind of thing. All right. So why why did I bring this up? Something old, something new, right? That's they're new, but they do old. There a lot of it is reintroducing Christians to the heritage that we have, right? And there's many strains. It's not just Lutheran, but there's Anglican. We sang a couple of Anglican hymns today. That's the Church of England, right? So, actually, the last one was a combination of a German text with an English tune. <laughs> so that's kind of cool, right? Um, and so we retain, I think we retain the Latin names for the parts of the service in order to remember that we're in this, we're in this stream, right, that is ongoing and it's leading, uh, of course, towards the stream that flows with living waters of heaven, right? Um, so the intro, it's one of those things. Uh, most of the intro that we pray were designated, were specified. Oh, by the way, where does the intro happen? We're just going in order, so it comes right after confession, and absolution, right? So I'm facing you instead by the command. We talked about that last week. And then I turn, and face the altar, and then we start the the introit, right? Um, Before I tell you more about the introit, what does it mean in Latin? All right, I keep saying it's in Latin, but I didn't tell you what it means in English. What's it sound like? Intro. Enter, yeah. So sometimes we'll do what, well, very rarely, we're doing it on Wednesday here in Advent, an entrance hymn instead of an entrance psalm. All right, but the same idea. It's to enter. So um, w- there's movement that happens. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out amongst you, and then I'm, then actually what's happening is it's not just pastor going up to the altar, but I'm actually, you're supposed to follow me. But you're all just kind of sitting like bumps on a log in your pew. So You're supposed to follow me up. Yeah, anyway. Uh, the architecture of our churches have long since departed from this, but the old basilicas if you go to Europe, you'll see that like the altar, there's a lot of area around the altar, that's the reason, so that the congregation can follow the, the pastor up to the altar when it comes time for the sacrament and they can all gather there, so they can gather at the front of the, of the sanctuary to hear his word, that's why they didn't need amplification because there wasn't stupid Lutherans sitting in the back pew, there were no pews Lutherans didn't even have pews until two hundred years ago. Did they kneel on the floor or did they? Yeah, yeah. If you, well, if they would have like seats around the edge for people who didn't want to stand or couldn't stand the whole time. But they'd either stand or sit. Yeah, yeah, or kneel on the stone floor. <laughs> Sorry, I, to some degree, I kind of think we've just gotten a little too comfortable. Uh, you know, just a little. No, uh, pews came from the Reformed tradition. Because their sermons would go on for ungodly lengths. Like Lutherans would preach for 40 minutes or an hour. Uh, the Reformed were preaching for two or three hours. And so, yeah, of course, they, they're like, and they would, they, what they did is they moved the pulpit to the middle instead of the altar. So you can tell you what their priority is in their service. It's not what happens at the altar. It's what happens in the pulpit. All right. For us, the altar's at the center, and it's the highest point in the sanctuary. All right, so we're entering... We're entering in, and it's just a pattern from the Old Testament, from the tabernacle and then the temple, right? There's the outer courts for the Gentiles, there's the inner courts for for the faithful women and children, and then there's the inner courts for the men, and then the holy, holy, which only the high priest enters once a year, right? So this is ordering, and there's this movement in. And of course, with Jesus, as he dies, he suffers and dies, what happens to the temple curtain? Yeah, it's torn asunder, and then all of a sudden, all of those not the movement to Jesus, but the access to Jesus changes. And now he brings all, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all into his presence in the most holy place. So it's like a present that was open. Right? So you enter with the pastor. I, so right now, the way we do it now is that I'm a symbolic representation of the whole congregation. As I go up to the altar, you're going up with me. That's why you're singing with me. Um, Let's see, anything else I wanted to say about intro it historically? We've we've talked actually about entrance psalms in the congregation of prayer over the last few weeks. um, Because, not this week, but 134 and then all the way back to, I think, 118, those psalms were the psalms they prayed as they went up to the temple in Jerusalem on feast days. So those psalms were appointed. They're called psalms of ascent, if you read it in your Bible. Because you would ascend up the mountain, Zion, in Jerusalem, up to the, tabernet, to the temple, I should say, All right? and then enter into God's presence. So there's actually specific psalms appointed for that. Now, in our practice, now to come full circle to what I was going to spoil before, um, the introits that we use almost entirely are as appointed by Gregory the Great, the pope, in 540 or something like that. So um, for the most part, what, we, what we're doing with the intro, not just the Latin name, but even the psalm or the text that we're singing is the one that the church has been singing for 1,500 years or so. I don't know about you. That's impressive to me. I think, you know, uh, think about what um, Malachi said, right? He will turn the hearts of children to their fathers and fathers to their children, right? And that's related to the fourth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, Right. Which means that you honor them even even after you leave the home remember that um even after they've died right? it's actually like a desecration of your parents memory to forsake the faith that they gave you you're dishonoring them by abandoning the faith that they handed over to you the heritage they gave you it's like an inheritance right I mean, you could say, when, when it comes time to read the will, I don't want the inheritance that's due me. I'm going to forsake that because I hated mom and dad, right? You could do that, but that's scandalous, isn't it? Yeah, so. Um, but something old, something new. I mean, we don't just do stuff because it's old. We do it because it's actually valuable uh, for faith uh, to teach the young. This is one of the things with children, small children like this one, Right? How does she? How is she learning right now? Is it by words? It's by watching. Yeah, by watching. Right, she's watching what we're doing. Parents who dis- parents who misbehave in church, their children misbehave always. The poorest behaved children, the children who don't pay attention in church, who don't listen, who don't sing, who don't pray, their parents aren't. Right, because they're watching. They're watching what you're doing. So that's why we do things together as a congregation. Right, this is why you speak and you sing if you're able. Um, but also there's lots of nonverbal teaching tools throughout the church, right? There's places, there's movement, there's images, right? So even if you're non not literate, you can't read, uh, there's things that we say repeatedly so that you can memorize them even if you can't read yet. So like 3-year-olds like we're, uh, that's James, right? He's 3. Patrick, sorry. James is 5. James is 5. Six. Patrick's, yeah, Patrick's three going on four, right? Yeah. And he can say the Lord's Prayer. You know, like, why not? Because we prayed every day. He hears it. You don't have to be able to read. All right, All right. So, so even when it comes to verbal, repetition happens. So movement's helpful. Uh, this is what I'm saying. Ceremony and ritual, the things that, like, I do, not the things that I say, these things are helpful. They're not necessarily essential. But I always ask the question, you know, if our church... Uh, if the church at large has deemed these as uh, important teaching devices, before I get rid of it, I'm going to ask, like, I'm gonna, or I'm going to investigate and say, why are we doing what we're doing? All right. So this, this applies to everything we do, but especially to the introit, Because what's happening is, um, on beha- because you've had your sins forgiven, you have access to God. Right? Because you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you can call God your Father. That's right. Right. So that's all representative in the divine service. As I confess down at your level. It's not because I'm at your level. I am at your level. Right? But like I said, I go up to the altar. That's not because I'm more holy than you. It's because I'm your representative. You're in effect going up with me to the altar to pray, to hear God's word, to preach here, um, and then later to receive the sacrament. That's one of the reasons why the location of the font I'm pretty particular on. I moved it back to kind of where it usually is. But when we had the table for Thanksgiving over there, moved it to the middle. That's a more typical place for Lutherans is in the center of the church. It's the Roman Catholics who put it off in a little room off to the side where you don't even see it unless you have to use it. You know that some Lutheran churches, mm, mm, some of our churches, grumble, grumble, they'll like roll it, they have wheels on it, and they'll roll it into the corner, into the closet. I'm thinking of yeah. It's like, what is it doing way over there in the dark? I was there for a funeral. I'm like, what's that? Why, is it, why do you roll it? Like, it should be like where you can... Anyway. If, it's, not because, it's not because the font itself is more holy or something. It is a tool. It's a utility. Right? It's the Word of God in and with the water that does these things. Not just the water, not just the font. But, uh, but it is an icon or a representation of faith. And it's a reminder of your baptism as you see it. Right, so don't hide the font. That's the thing. Some churches put it all the way way at the back, or in the middle of the church. So, in any case, the first thing you bump into is the font, because that's the first thing you bump into as a Christian, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, Ron. Then we should have the chalice on the altar too. No. So the sacrament of the altar is different, right? So it has different it has different things attached to it. Because the Roman church does that; they put the chalice with well, they only put the host out in a monstrance, and you, and you adore Jesus. Here's a wafer, and you're adoring Jesus, and they do that all week. Um, what did Jesus say? What were the instructions? Eat take this. Yeah, take eat, take drink, right? So uh, it's different with that. Whereas with the font, I mean, you could have the chalice out. Some people do that, but it also there's also a practical reason you don't leave the font, or the, you don't leave the chalice out ours is made out of silver and it tarnishes. So, anyway. Yeah, no, it's... Generally, when it comes to the sacrament of the altar, our practice has been, this is just a side note, um, is not only the, the communion where... Oh my, she's making a mess. Uh, not only the communion ware, but the, the wine and the bread are only out when, it's, when there's Christians there to eat and to drink it. And it only stays out and so, as long as Christians are there to eat and to drink it. So when we're done, we clean up the leftovers. You know, if I can consume them, I do. If there's not too many, if there's too much, we go and store them and save them for the next meal. All right. So it's a little bit different. Whereas with the font, I mean, because the other thing with the font is, it's every morning, every evening, it's every day. You're always baptized. You're not always receiving Christ's body and blood. You know, that's particular. So I don't know. We could leave it out, I guess. There's are special, like coverings. But, all right. Entrance. Have a good time, little girl. She's going to tell you all about it. Oh, look at that. Family picture. That's nice. You let my tablet fall asleep. All right, so let's do a psalm of entrance, psalm 100. All right, and I'll try to get it back up on the screen since it's timed out. Come on, you can do it. Stop mirroring. Start mirroring. Friendship room. Oh man, you broke it. You guys broke it. You got me talking and then you broke it. I'm not accepting responsibility <laughs> for <you. Like laughs> we're talking about, you know, the Yeah, Because yeah. yeah. you're not familiar with anything. You can't even hear what they're saying or saying mm-hmm. I mean, No, and you make architectural choices for that reason too. Alright. Oh, did it go? It looks we like it's going. can't songs. No, I can't. Yeah. Well, here, I'm thinking of like your past context. Well, at least consider mm-hmm. that the room has been now treated in such a way that it's hard to sing in there without an amplified band leading you because they have so much absorptive cushions and carpet. And it's just like, it's exhausting to sing in there. You can't even hear the next person over. Right. Which, I mean, you don't, maybe you don't realize how blessed you are, but. The, the architecture here it's kind of unique with the dome ceiling like that instead of having beams and things but even so it's like a band shell over your head you can hear each other across like one side of the church to the other well it like in the city walls, and so, so i'm thinking about that yeah no it's the same thing on their facebook uh-huh right okay so they got like a couple people singing in the choir it's not even a choir it's like well chris and couple other people that have a yes yes <laughs> I can't even make like all great and then they have this praise band. No. right and to me it just it's, it's right. not church we have to be careful about this though right because it is indifferent you can sing with other you can sing other texts you're not just sing the old hymns you can mm-hmm. sing other tunes you can use different instrumentation we could too we could have art organ doesn't really let you have other instruments play along with it that well because it's pitched so low. But uh, we could be led by brass or by woodwinds or by the piano. I mean, there's other. Or we can sing acapella like we've been doing, which you, guys, I, you don't even know how well you do that. It's amazing. Should we do 150? But I mean, they sing um, like the and the rest of the combination right. is supposed to sing with them? Right. I yeah, I would prefer in that setting, like you do a combination. So you sing some hymns that are just congregation with the organ, and then if the choir wants to sing something like that, if you know, you can join in. But it's really just an anthem, or it's just a choir piece that you happen to have the words up on the screen to sing along with. So it's not, they're not, because in some of it, I'm a sound guy, i do sound engineering and recording and all of that. When I've been there anyway, or other churches like it, we don't want to pick too much on one of our sisters, sure. but you know, don't pick on your kids, right? Don't pick on your siblings even worse. Um, they yeah, they will. Oh, they do. <laughs> yeah, um, is that the balance isn't right for a congregation singing? They're too loud, and you're, you can't sing louder than them. Yeah. All right, Ron, what's on? I 50. know we're never going to lose the church. Thank you. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing about that. And what I want to be careful. Um, that's your that's your kind of opinion. I share that opinion because I like to sing. I don't like to be sung at. I like to sing with. But. Um, that's not for everybody. Yeah, and so the key is, is the Word of God preached in its truth and purity? Are the sacraments administered according to the Lord's mm-hmm. command? Yeah. Yes, right? Is it true church? Yes, yeah. right? Is it the church that you want to go to? Probably not. We've had members, a lot of people actually transfer there, because it is preferable, preferable for them. Fair enough, right? We've had people transfer in because this is preferable to what they're coming from, right? So, yeah, we, yeah don't, get, don't get too hung up on where people go insofar as the word of god is taught it's truth and purity and the sacraments administered sort of according to the lord's command which is what our hearts were say is what's essential for it to be a faithful congregation all right psalm 100 not very long you can see it up on the screen here if you need it oh note these uh, notes a psalm of thanksgiving those are in the original text so the psalm the psalm book in the Bible actually tells you a lot of times where it came from, what it was written on of, uh, what it was written for, because like our hymns will say, like, "Thy strong word, written for the 100th anniversary of Lutheran Church of Jerusalem. Right at the bottom. Right? Okay. Oh, hi, baby. I did you were right there. All right. No, we're doing 100. I'm sorry. I said 150. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God, and it is He who made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name, for the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Glory be to the Lord. Okay. Yep. All right. The lesson is on Psalm 100, Ron, so we're going to do Psalm 100. I like 152. All right. So, how are we invited to come into the Lord's presence? With Thanksgiving. I was singing. Yeah, I was singing. Sometimes people get hung up on this. Pastor, you sing, sing so much. It's like, oh yeah, but so do the people. So, the people of God throughout <laughs> uh, all time. J.R.R. Tolkien. You know Tolkien? Yeah, Tolkien. Thanks. Right? Offer of the Lord of the Rings. Uh, faithful Roman Catholic. He, he post- postulates that God actually sung the world in name. I think it's an interesting idea, right? That he sung the word. Because so often he has the word attached to singing. Like Moses, when the people of God are delivered through the Red Sea, what did they do? They sing a the hymn, right? Moses composes a hymn for them that they remember, right? Um, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, what did they do on the way? Saying it Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, of, there's a lot more singing in the Bible. Well, I mean, just think about it. you got a whole, you got a whole hymn book so in, the, in the Bible. <laughs> it's also easier to remember things when you sing them. That's good. All right, so let's see. What is our relationship to God according to the psalm? <laughs> he is God, and we are His people, right? The sheep of His pasture. Notice in between, though. It is He who made us, and not we ourselves, right? So he, he is Creator, and we are creation. Creation or created? Creature. Are you going to clean that up? Hey, we do not to worry about it. She's having a good time. Everybody, warm enough? Can I turn this off? It's a little yeah. loud. Yeah. All right. Whoo! Now you can hear me. I feel like I have to yell. Um, There is a pattern in all of creation. I listened to a lecture yesterday. I know, that's what you do for fun on Saturdays, right? Um, You know, but this is the way that, it's it's pretty much every world religion except for the crazy ones like Marxism. (laughs) Um, They basically, they have some kind of hierarchical sense of things, right? You know, And so, you know, there's the foundation level and there's levels. And it's not—it's not necessarily um, of importance. Yeah, maybe a little bit, or priority, or who's who's better than who. But it's—it's it's just the way that God structures creation, right? So you have God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So the Son, and then the and the Spirit. I don't know. Say the Spirit here, right? But then you have, like, for example, the evangelists, and then kind of, just read Revelation. You'll see this. You have the prophets. And the apostles, right, right. And then you have the apostolic church, uh, like church, right, which is you, the people, right, and then you have God's people. Sorry, and then basically the world is down here. Okay, right. Everything's it's been ordered by God for for the benefit of everyone, right? He's ordered it this way in order that the world, not the word. And there's an L in there. <laughs> I tried to write it wrong. That the world would benefit right, by the preaching of the gospel. And then that they would be brought by way of God's people, the apostolic church, the prophets and apostles, evangelists, the son, to, to the father. Make sense? All right. So that's right there. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. Not we ourselves. All right. Write out verse 4. Well, you don't have to. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, be thankful to him and bless his name. Alright? So now that if you were a Jew in Jerusalem on say a feast day and you prayed that, you'd look about and you'd see the very thing you're praying about. You've come through the gates of Jerusalem, the city gates, where do you go? Up the hill to the temple, into the courts, which is the outer court and then the inner court of the temple, right? And what do you do there? You express your thanks, and you bless God by speaking his word back to him in prayer. So it's just describing the pattern of all worship, faithful worship of God, whether it's tabernacle, temple, Christian worship, it's consistent. Okay? Following? Alright, good. Uh, based on the liturgy so far, why would we bless the Lord's name? That's a I don't know if that word's kind of bug you. Let us bless the Lord. Like, what does that mean? God doesn't need our blessing. What what are we saying when we say that? Yeah, it's it's similar to praise or thanksgiving. It's kind of including all those ideas. Isn't it kind of like, also kind of like the, thy will be done type thing? Mm, maybe. We bless his name, we bless the Lord by responding to him with the things he's given to us, right? Um, So, for example... He forgives us our sins, so we forgive one another, and that's how we bless his name. It's, it's, it's a demonstration that we've received his word, and it's had its way with us. right? So think about it this way. You've heard your sins are forgiven. You've heard that uh, God has made you his people. Then we pray for, uh, for the church and for the whole people of God and all people who have needs. And then you greet one another with that peace that we've just asked for. We ask that all people be reconciled, that there'd be peace upon the earth. It was in the prayer of the church today. And then the next thing I had you do is greet one another with peace. So hopefully you didn't like say, I don't want to talk to that person over there. You no, know, I remember what Gus said. You know? I'm not talking to that guy. Either, but... right. There's no place for that in church. Sure. I was just picking on you, Gus. I just picked on you. I said, what guy was that? The in the stories. Oh. I was just picking on you. Yeah, you keep kicking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. What? Well, you're having a grand old time there, brother. All right, so we've talked a lot about the intro. It means enter from the song. Um, Who is entering? We are. Why do we come into His presence? Because we've been forgiven in His name. We're His children. Um, we don't want to forget it's a great privilege to be in the house of God, to be in His presence, because if we were just sinners without the forgiveness of sins, you the know, little adage about it, you know, oh he's gonna strike me down strike me down with lightning and that's actually kind of true <laughs> right um well who's the was it jonathan edwards sinners in the hands of an angry god I'm looking at ron because he likes the old sermons ron sinners in the hand of an angry god was that jonathan edwards i have no idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah a preacher right but that was luther's problem too with the reformation is that he didn't know the gospel in its fullness, or sweet, full sweetness. So um, he always asked, he, he was asking himself as, a, as an Augustinian monk, like, um, who's going to save me from this body of death, to quote Paul. Right? I can't seem to find uh, a, a way to, to cleanse my conscience of my sin. Doesn't matter how much I confess it, there's always more. Right? And what's the answer? His father confessor. Who never actually converted, he remained a Roman Catholic uh, prior, leaving a monastery. Uh, it's famous, you've seen it in the movie. It's based on Luther's own anecdote. He holds the cross up. It says something about Jesus, right? Look to Jesus. So even you know, a medieval Roman Catholic who's full in it's like you can't, there's a limit to the amount of penance you can do, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Alright, let's see. What do we here? We did everything on the first page. Go to the second page. To understand this truth, namely that we can not be in the presence of the God, look at Exodus 19, 16-25. All right? So I'll put that up on the screen for you. Yeah, you see the picture? It's a great icon. It's so small, you can't see it. But uh, it's Moses up on the hill. Then it came to pass, On the third day in the morning, huh, this will sound familiar, that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. What what does that sound like? Well, day! it is, sure. What? Uh, Yeah, the last day, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like the description of the last day. Or, in other words, when God is present, Right, and we can see it not just by faith, but by sight. This is what it's like. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. I've always wondered how you can tell where the foot ends, where you can safely stand, because he said, "If you touch the mountain, you'll die." But Even you your animals. Figured it out the hard way. Yeah, figured it out the hard way. That guy went too far. Okay. This is one of those things you just like when you're a child. You wonder these things. Like, where's the dividing line between the foot and the... Anyway. Uh, now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. The day is coming when, with fire and bread, they burn stubble. They'll be like stubble, right? My pile kind today? Be like stubble. And be burned down neither root nor branch. Wasn't that Malachi wasn't that today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? All right. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Sounds like a volcano. I think you should just stay in here. It doesn't look so nice outside. Yeah. Um, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. <clears throat> and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. See the pattern? Okay. This pattern happens over and over in the Bible. With high places, with Zion, everything. Right. I should probably share that lecture with you. It was really fascinating. It's, it was actually by a Eastern, uh, Russian Orthodox iconographer, but who also does like Puff. He does like uh, YouTube videos on theology and philosophy. <coughs> Interesting guy. Uh, Canadian. What's his name? Pajot. Jonathan Pajot. French Canadian. I think I got it right. Jonathan. P-U-G-E-U-G-X. Maybe at the end? Probably an X at the end. Do I do that? Okay. Yeah. Pajot. 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 Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, he's often in videos with John, Jordan Peterson as well. Yeah, because they're both in Toronto. so uh, And they're both like part of the Carl Jung society and stuff. Actually, that's the video. It's Peterson asking him questions. So, anyway. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. We should fear, love, and trust in God, right? For that first word, fear. fear. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, but Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Okay, they set up fences. Moses told us. I, was, I guess that was a question I needed to have answered, and I hadn't answered. You were all here for it. They set up bounds. Do you know? Thou shalt not cross. Dorothy? of the tree. Alright. Yeah, we're going to have a fun time. We haven't got our tree yet. (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down, and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the the Lord, lest he break out against them. Wait a minute. Hold on. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. What's kind of interesting about what happened in 24? The Lord... Said to him, but then the Lord refers to He break out against them. Who's He? Angel of Death? Uh huh. No. Here? Yeah. Nope. Who's He talking? Who's Moses talking to? Oh, he's talking to yeah. the the oh, man. man, second. Yes, yeah, he's first. talking to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Oh. Right, and Jesus is talking about the Father, ultimate, you God know, the Father breaking out against them. No one can see the face of God and live but that we have beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth, right? in Jesus Christ, who was made flesh. The only way you can actually enter into God's presence and behold Him is through His Son, Jesus. That's how Moses is doing it here, too, through the second person of the Trinity. Isn't that interesting? All right, I didn't have to talk. All right. So, let's uh, not have God break out against us, right? What would have happened if the people of Israel or the priests gazed upon the Lord? (laughs) What would happen? (laughs) Yeah, they would die. You guys were (laughs) housekeeping habits. We gave them a long time. When the Bible says manage this household well, he's not necessarily talking about your house being clean. He's talking about raising your children in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Okay? And keeping your keeping uh, keeping your wife happy. I was going to say keep your discipline, but that's not right. She disciplines you. Keep her happy. There we go. All right. Why would they perish if they saw the Lord? Okay, the priests wouldn't perish. Moses didn't perish. Why? Because they were given permission, right? uh, permission. Yeah, where was that? Uh, 22. The priests come near, in verse 22, right in the middle The Lord consecrate themselves, right? So to be consecrated is to be set apart by God through a ritual, in this case, that He had actually appointed, right? They were anointed with oil, they've been clamped, they've had ritual baths, they've all this stuff. If they touch the dead animal or person, they can't come into God's presence in the tabernacle or temple. It's the same thing here, all right? So, you know, before the pastor enters into church, he washes his hands. We we don't have the same. The ritual of cleansing. For you, the priests of God, to enter into God's presence is your baptism. Correct. Which is why the font is on your way up to the altar. Usually. This was a Lutheran thing, by the way. Again, the Roman Catholics, medieval, they didn't care what the font was. They had a pretty poor theology of baptism. Uh, And then Luther revived that for the church. And eventually, the Roman church caught on. So Vatican II was primarily about renewal of theology of baptism for the Roman church. And so the newer churches constructed or the renovations of the Roman churches since then have moved the font into a prominent position. And Mike's not his head. I'm trying to think of one around here where they moved the font, but I don't know. I don't know the history of it. Are there newer Roman sanctuaries around here? There's the old ones. Okay, that. Uh, Our Lady of the Lakes. All right, well, anyway. A lot of times, see, if they've done any renovation, they've moved the font into a more prominent place. They also, uh, Vatican II, that was the middle of the 20th century, was also a renewal then of catechesis as well, so that they caught on to what the Lutherans had been saying for a few hundred years, that you need to actually teach the faith to the children well. Um, all right, anyway, what are we talking about? Good. So uh, they would die and they would perish because they were unholy and God is holy. Right. So, uh, see the paragraph there in the middle? Jesus has gone into God's presence. In fact, Jesus has gone all the way up to the right hand of the Father. This is written for middle schoolers, so you get the idea. He can go there because he is holy and righteous. And because we have been baptized into Christ, we can go to the Father also. Jesus' blood atones for our sins. We are forgiven so that we can go into the presence of God. There they are. You found your way in. All right, we'll give it another five minutes or so. Hebrews 12. You see the chart there, so I'm just going to introduce this. You might have to fill it out on your own. But I did. I, I tried to pace myself better, and well, here we are. Mar- Marla and I talk about, do we want to do one lesson a week, or maybe we should spread them out, but it's okay. This is an introduction. All right, where is it? There we are. I love this part in Hebrews. It's just beautiful. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning... Oh, we should know what's going on here. We're talking about the giving of the law by Moses. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. That sounds familiar. That's what we just read. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. So notice, it's not even enough for them to not be in God's physical presence. They don't even want to hear, hear his word, right? right? Because his word is holy, and they are not. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, Exodus 14, for, Exodus 15, God has come to test you, and that, Deuteronomy 4, etc., etc., that his fear may be before you, so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near and the thick, to the thick darkness where God was. All right? So this is, a, this is a sermon. So he's kind of, he's filling in the blanks from different parts and he's kind of summarizing, right? Not telling it exactly as we read it. Notice this though. This is great. Then the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, am I, did I? No, I'm in Exodus. People. You were supposed to tell me that's not what, what I was supposed to be. Hebrews oh. eight, 18. I'm like, I read this before. Thank you. I was like, wow, my translation is way off. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, this sounds a lot like what we just read. <laughs> uh, what are we? 18, what? 18, 18? 12, 18 to Look, it just went back again. Because you didn't actually write Hebrews, you did have. Okay. Hebrews 18, what? No, 12, 12 18. 12 18. there we go. Look, there it is. There. oh there it is. All right. I'm like that sounds familiar now. It's the same thing. Sorry. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. okay. We've read about that. I want to turn that off. There we go. And to the black to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. You can see why I was confused. It sounds like the same thing, right? Uh, anymore. Uh, and then, so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. Actually, nice. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. All right? And if you remember our Hebrews Bible class, we went into that. It's not an exodus, but it is in Deuteronomy. All right? So compare that with this. Verse 22. But you have come, not to Mount Sinai, not Horeb, but to Mount Zion, and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the whole assembly, general assembly, and the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, well, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, here we go, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. All right, so um, you can go search on our YouTube page and you can find a Bible class on this where we go through point by point, Let's compare, 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 compare. <coughs> Um, it's it's like it's like this. Right, we're talking about step ty- typology. This is Horeb, or as you know it, a Sinai, right? And this is Zion, not Zion in Jerusalem, but the heavenly Zion, right? So they're similar, and yet they're quite different, right? Because Horeb you didn't really have access to Zion; you get to go into the city and dwell there on Mount. Um, Make sense. Right? And it's, again, it's all through the mediator of the New Covenant, the New Testament, and Jesus' blood. So again, that's how we can enter into his gates for Thanksgiving. Oh, look, they gave you a picture. There you go. So this explains what we're talking about just now on verse 30, uh, page 39 here. So, A, that's confession and absolution. We're separate, right? Before confession. All right, And then B... Jesus' blood washes away our sins in baptism, we are forgiven, we are absolved, right? That corresponds to Absolution, right? And then the intro it is is C. Right? Then we can enter through the blood of Jesus into the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah. You like that? It Abel's blood cried for justice and retribution. Right. For us, you what Jesus shed on the flesh speaks of forgiveness and reconciliation. Abel's blood for vengeance. Okay. Yeah, it's a, which hymn is that? Glory be to Jesus, right? Okay. Who in bitter pains shed for us poured for us his life blood from his sacred veins? That's the first stanza. Which one is has Abel in it? Probably the third stanza maybe. Abel's blood for vengeance from the you know, from the ground cries, but Jesus' blood. Um, cries out for forgiveness, right? So that's that contrast, right? Lesser to greater, or really negative to positive. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, and then uh, you can look at these other verses on your own, right? But we do basically, uh, whether it's Paul in Ephesians, Colossians, or, or St. James in his, in his epistle, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. They all say the same thing, more or less, right? So we can enter into God's presence And we do that with singing. Remember, Psalm 100, right? Um, Now, as far as the structure of the intro, this is the last thing I want to end on. Yeah, I've got two minutes. Um, That you'll note there's an antiphon. That just means a phone, phone A, like the phone, is sound, right? You send sound on a phone. We don't use phones that are like this anymore. (laughs) We still use... um, we, we put all that cellular, cellular radiation right up against our brain. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, the phoneme means sound. Anti is sound against. Sound against. So we have a, a verse that comes at the beginning, at the end. We do that with the psalm as well, after the Old Testament reading. And that, pay attention to that antiphon, antiphone, however you want to say it, Latin, the antiphon, because it, it's going to tell you what the. At least for the day, what the central theme of the psalm or the intro at Psalm is. The thing that you really want to keep in your mind all day. So, like, who has the bulletin? here we go. The central theme for today, according to the antiphon, was say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. The Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard, and you shall have gladness of heart. Right? You are forgiven, you are God's child, etc. Now you have gladness of heart does yep. anti also mean before? Anti? It means against. Well anti is against, but anti is also ante. Oh anti with an e. So. Anticipate. Yeah, exactly. Antebellum. Antebellum, yeah, before. yeah This is an, anti anti, <laughs> against. Um, and then there's the glory of Patry. So we've added that to the Psalms. Because the original Psalms didn't have glory to be to the Father, to the Son. Right? So what the reason why we add the glory of Patria at the end, glory to the Father, it's just Latin again. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. Is because we recognize that all the Psalms confess God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And and it's meant to remind you that when you pray the Psalm, to apply it to the life of faith as a Christian. Right? That isn't to say that it didn't have a historic context and a an historic meaning. But it also has meaning for us now, particularly in the full revelation of who God is in Christ. Okay? So that's why we have that Gloria Potra at the end to remember. All right, now, how can we pray this? Sometimes it's a little hard because the last part of, like, oh, I forget what Psalm number it is, is, you know, may you dash their little ones upon the rocks. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. Okay, pray good time. So sometimes it's a little hard it's just like sometimes and he'll come with the darkness and judgment and uh, all will be made stubble this is the gospel of the lord okay then sometimes it doesn't quite work out that way it's gospel in a sense of it came from the gospel book right (laughs) but not necessarily a gospel particular gospel word all right is that helpful so it's a psalm it's usually introducing some of the themes for the day Sometimes it's a little generic, sometimes it's very particular to the day, all right? You'll see this especially at Christmas time, Not necessarily all the themes and not necessarily the main theme either though. It may be just the transition, just giving you a transition from confession into the prayer and then, so it might just be a roadmap or part of the road, what do you wanna say, journey of the day. So you can think of the day as having a central theme or you can think of it as a journey, right? And think about, like, I don't know if you ever do this, after church, go back and like, okay, where did we start? And then kind of walk your way back through it again. How did we get here from there, right? That would be a fun exercise to do um, after church on a Sunday. Let's go back and read the first thing and read the Old Testament the epistle and the gospel again or, and read the prayer of the church, or the, excuse me, the of the day. So, all right. Uh, next time we'll do the Kyrie, again Latin. Means. Have mercy. No. The no. on. Um. Lord. Lord. Curious. All right. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, by Your Son Jesus, we have full and complete access to You for our prayers of thanksgiving and of praise, um, and in times of need, Your Son by way of the Spirit intercedes uh, for us always with groanings too deep for words. Your Son intercedes for us each and every day, knowing what we need even before we ask, um, ask for it. And by the forgiveness that He has purchased and won for us, we know that we can ask whatever we need in Your name. All this we give you th- For all this we give You thanks, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, fun. All right, Dorothy, clean up your mess. Yeah.